G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. As we do on a Tuesday, we like to check in with Alex Cook, who's the founder of Wealth With Purpose, our Ask Alex segment. Our talkback line open now on 1-800-316-316. If you have a question on finance, no topic of limits. Uh, Alex Cook, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you. Alex, as we're waiting for a question or two coming, I wanted to touch on some of the things we've been talking about, uh, wealth foundations, and we've been having a bit of a series over previous weeks so far as this goes. Uh, Let's touch on some issues around getting out of debt today, because if you're going to build wealth, uh, debt's one of those things you've got to have in control. How serious is debt in our society, do you think? Mm, Well, it's huge. Uh, It's not just an Australian phenomenon. It's also a Western world phenomenon in general. Uh, In saying that, Australia today, and this may surprise listeners, is now the second most indebted households on earth. Uh, The only people more indebted than Aussies are the Swiss. Uh, And look, I think the predominant reason for that, of course, is our house prices. (laughs) Uh, You don't have to look too far to see how high high house prices are around Australia. Um, But also, one of the the figures that the Reserve Bank of Australia releases every month is what's referred to as the debt-to-income ratio, which currently sits at 194%. So now to put that into sort of simple uh, terms for everybody... What it means is for every dollar earned in Australia, a dollar ninety-four is borrowed, which is a huge sum. Um, now, to put that in a bit of historical context, back in 1991, when we had our first, what I would call, real recession, when I mean, we had technical one uh, during COVID and, and during the GFC, uh, but the really, you know, the last serious one was in 1991. At that point in time, it was only 50% debt to income. So we're now carrying four times as much debt in a percentage sense in nominal terms obviously much more so it is a very big issue as i say it's a global trend particularly the western world where it's very easy to borrow money and of course it's really just been driven by the fact that interest rates have been going down and down and down for um 30 you know the better part of 30 years now some listeners may even had a had a home loan at 17 or 18 percent back in 1990 uh it's scary to think you can get one these days for two percent uh something i guess nobody would have predicted even 10 years ago so uh yeah it's a very serious issue in our society now neil alex uh, you know we've got this great australian dream and it's a part of our culture that we do like to invest in real estate we want to have the you know, the home and the double garage and uh, the two cars to fill the garage. There's a certain sense in which this is, uh, as you're saying here, this is something like a Western phenomenon. It's not necessarily cultural all around the world. How does our culture, in the way that things have changed in recent years, compare to where we might think of ourselves having a biblical position on debt? Mm. Well, just the historical thing. I mean, I, I like to think of my grandmother who, if she was alive today, she'd be well over 100. But she grew up uh, during the Great Depression. 
And as a result of that period where many people were stung by debt, particularly margin debt and so forth during the stock market crash that commenced in 1929, um, that generation really shunned borrowing money altogether. The only thing they would really ever borrow money for is to buy a house and they'd pay it back as quick as they possibly could. If you compare that today, where you have uh, you know, the credit card generation, uh, people think nothing of borrowing money to go on holiday, uh, to borrow, to, I mean, even when I was growing up, it was very rare to borrow money to buy a car. These days, a staggering percentage of cars on the road are actually borrowed money. So it's changed significantly in just the last 30 years, let alone the last 70 years. Um, Now, if we compare that, though, to Scripture, and what does the Bible tell us? Well, interestingly, the Bible never paints debt as sinful, so people can relax a little bit. You know, we're not going to tell you that having debt is sinful. However, it is very much a wisdom issue. Um, And the Bible really, when it comes to debt, gives us a number of warning messages, if you like. So it never paints it in a positive light, but as I say, nor does it ever paint it as sinful either. But one of my favourite passages is from Proverbs 22, and it says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And certainly a long-term fear I've held, and when I say long-term, I mean over the last 10 years, is a concern that many Australians will end up as slaves to the banking system as interest rates rise. That, to me, is a big thing. And that's what the Bible is warning us against. So if you are listening and you're thinking, I've got a lot of debt, now's the time to have a definitive plan to get out of it. Um, And then the second one is also from Proverbs, and it says, one who has no sense shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for a neighbour. Now, what that really means is simply don't guarantee somebody else's debts Probably the most common one that I see today is parents going guarantor on their children's loan. We all know it's difficult to get into the housing market and get a you know a step on the, the property ladder. And so many parents either give their kids deposits as one thing or put up their own houses or a part equity in their own house up as security um, for their kids taking out a loan. Now, of course, that's then exposing the parent's house to default if the children can't pay back their loan. So the Bible gives us these warning messages about debt, and I think something we should really take heed uh, and just be wise about how much debt we take on. Alex, sometimes we talk about that situation, we call it the bank of mum and dad, and parents are acutely aware that when their children coming into their adult years uh, will find it almost or virtually impossible Uh, to get into the housing market uh, without some assistance, then they want to do that sort of helpful thing. Any insights from you around maybe the best way you can approach that? Or do you just take that scripture uh, so literally and say, just don't be a guarantor for your own children even? Yeah, look, it's it's a good question. Look, to give you an idea on the bank of mum and dad now, my understanding is 25% of first home buyer home loans are now backed by mum and dad. In other words, mum and dad have either provided a deposit or have provided guarantee over the home loan. So that's a huge uh, percentage of home loans that now require the support of the parents to get into the market. Um, Does it need to be taken literally? Not necessarily, but I do think it becomes an issue of circumstance. So if you're a a parent and you're keen to help out your kids, as so many parents want to do, uh, the question I would say to you is, 
if your child were to default on that home loan, what impact would that have on you? Could you come up with the cash to fund the difference? You know, if the house price had fallen and they and the bank you know forecloses on the house, could you come up with the difference if you needed to? Um, would you be forced to dig in to sell your own house? That's the thing I'd be most concerned about. You never want to, I don't think you ever want to put yourself into a position where your own house would be forcibly sold from under you. Um, you know, because if you're 65 years of age, you don't want to be doing that because, the, you know, the ability to recover from that is very difficult. So whilst I don't think it needs to be taken literally per se, I do think um, you need to say to yourself, if my child was the default, what would be the impact on myself and my spouse in the event of that happening? Because there are a lot of parents that I've found over the years who are very keen to help their children, almost a little bit naively so. They, you know, they, they love their kids, they want to do it, and they understand the predicament that kids are in these days. Um, but that love can sometimes overwhelm the financial uh, sensibleness of a decision uh, that they need to make. So just be very cautious is what I would say. And uh, there's a certain sense in which uh, the marketing uh, around homes and uh, banks and, of course, there's an election campaign on, uh, if everything, the outlook was rosy, you might have a different, uh, you know, impression about this sort of thing uh, than if you thought there was likely to be a crash and things were going to go haywire. Any thoughts here around what sort of impression you might have? I know we've already had some conversations about a tough year ahead. Uh, what, what are your thoughts here, though, for how we're shaped in the way we think things will go? Yeah, look, as you know, predicting the future is always fraught with danger. Um, but I think house prices in Australia now, uh, and it varies obviously by location and city and state, you know, where you are. Um, but either way, they're enormously overvalued by any historical measure. So I do think that as interest rates rise, and whilst the Reserve Bank hasn't yet put up rates, um, the banks themselves have all been putting up their fixed rates quite significantly, as in well over 1%. So the banks themselves are forecasting these rate rises, uh, and therefore you would have to assume that rates are going to go up. And of course, that more than likely will put a cap on house prices. And we're already seeing in Sydney and Melbourne already, prices are actually starting to fall. Um, I suspect that they will fall, uh, potentially considerably, depending on how far up rates go. Now, the counter argument to that would be if we go into a global recession and if the stock market were to crash, those are both deflationary type events and therefore the Reserve Bank wouldn't need to put up rates. If anything, they could even go the other extreme and that is go negative on the cash rate, which was something I thought they may have done over 12 months ago. So it's really going to be a case of what global events force their hand. If they're forced to raise rates, then house prices will inevitably fall, I would suspect. Uh, if not, you would expect that um, they may just hold their value for the time being or just drift down slowly. Certainly, they'll be very cautious on raising rates because they do not want to see house prices uh, plummet, plummet quickly because that would have a devastating effect on the real economy because house prices not only affect individuals, but they affect the broader economy in terms of how people spend their money. So it's a very uh, serious issue uh, that we've got ourselves into as a nation. Uh, having debt uh, to own your home is one thing. Uh, it's all the other debt we can take on around the periphery. 
Any thoughts here if you're looking to get out of debt or if you're preparing yourself uh, for, you know, if there were to be uh, that stock market crash or uh, you were to lose your job, uh, what sort of things do you think you ought to do around other debts that we might have hanging on? Mm. So, look, we outline a simple process for people to follow. Um, In terms of your other debts, my view is, in many cases, some of them are are debts to be avoided. Um, I have the the view, and listeners may have heard me talk about this before, that you shouldn't have any credit card debt. You should always pay it off in full every month. Ideally, no, don't. even better, don't even have a credit card at all. Um, I generally also discourage borrowing money for things that are of a, a depreciating nature, cars being the obvious example. So um, the only exception I would make to that is if you need a car um, for your job in the sense that you're a sales representative. You know, you actually need a car as a work tool, not to get from A to B or, and not even to get to work, but just as a tool of your business. That's a different story. But otherwise, I say to people, don't borrow money on a depreciating asset like a vehicle. To me, the only really good form of debt, if you like, is debt on an asset that's likely to appreciate. And that's obviously, you know, the, the residence in which we, we buy and live in. So that's that's the, the principle, I think, there. But in terms of how you get out of debt, we say to people, look, list all the debts that you have and list them in terms of their size, but also list them in terms of most importantly, their interest rate. Because the principle here is you want to pay off the high interest rate debts first and then work your way down to the low interest rate debts. This makes obviously logical sense because the high interest rate debt ones, you're wasting a lot of money on interest, so we want to get rid of those quicker, uh, and then move down to the lower interest rate ones second. But the good news about that is often your high interest rate debts are the smaller ones anyway, like credit cards, as opposed to the big debts, which are the low interest rate ones like your home loan. And what that does, it gives you a sense of achievement. You know, as you get rid of the credit card, you're paying that down, okay, the first one's gone, then the next one, you're just working your way through and paying off those debts. And you get a sense of momentum and a sense that, hey, I can really do this and, and get out of debt. So follow that sort of process. Then what I always encourage people to do is do a budget and see, is there anything in your budget that you could cut out so you've got extra income to throw against your debt? You know, the best home, I always say to the people, the best home loan you can ever have is the one you pay off the quickest. So if you do a budget and you realize, hey, you know, I've got $200 spare every month or $500 or, you know, whatever the figure is, throw that extra money against your home loan so you can pay it off as quick as you possibly can. So that way, you've got a really simple process here. You know, high interest rate debts first, low interest rate debts second, and just throw all your surplus against your outstanding debts um, so you can get rid of it as quick as possible. Hey, maybe you can even go into your garage, find uh, some old items you don't use anymore, then go and jump on Gumtree and sell them off as quick as you can and you've got extra money to pay off your debts. So there's all sorts of little things you can do around the edges, but the key thing is have a plan to pay it off and pay off your debts as quick as you possibly can. The thought that you might be borrowing money in order to grow your wealth, and uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, sometimes people have uh, margin loans, and uh, they're using the bank's money to invest and uh, trusting their own wisdom in those sorts of things. Uh, when you're talking about that sort of debt, uh, any thoughts here, Alex? Yeah, so look, often we you hear the term good debt versus bad debts, sort of a debt uh, terminology pushed by the financial industry. Um, good debt tends to be debt that's on investments. 
such as uh, uh, investment properties, share portfolios like margin debt uh, that you just mentioned. Uh, and the reason they're, they're seen as good debts is because they're tax deductible. You know, there's a tax advantage to them versus non-deductible debts like credit cards, which are just bad full stop. Um, so notwithstanding that, though, I always discourage debts for the share market. You know, the share market is enormously volatile. People, if they remember back to 2008, the Australian share market fell 55% over the course of 18 months. If you'd had margin debt, more than likely, it depends on your degree of leverage, but um, you would have possibly had margin calls and be forced to sell your shares at the absolute worst possible time. So I generally discourage gearing into the share market. Uh, because the good thing is, you know, you can create wealth without debt. I think it's a psyche in the Australian culture that you need debt in order to um, to build wealth. My view is that's really a falsehood. Certainly having debt to buy your home, you know, we all want to own our own home and get to by age sort of 65, you've ideally paid it off. But for the most part, you don't need to borrow money to invest in the share market. You can just use your surplus income to do that kind of thing. On investment properties, I'm a bit more relaxed about it because once again, you buy a physical asset, uh, it's likely to go up in value over time. The only thing is I'd really caution people at the moment. One of the things I do a lot of property analysis for people uh, where we assess the cash flow. And more often than not, many, many investment properties around Australia are what we call negative cash flow. That is to say that the expenses of the property are greater than the rent that's coming in from that said property. Uh, And therefore, you're losing money tax effectively. So I see a huge amount of that. So I'd say to people, if you are thinking about buying investment property and things like that, do the numbers and have as big a deposit as possible. You want your property to be neutral or cash flow positive as soon as possible. Don't buy into this, oh, I need all these tax deductions and tax benefits because they're no good to you if you're losing money, okay? And negative gearing is losing money tax effectively. So just be really cautious about those kind of things. Make sure you borrow money on assets that are going to likely do well over time. Ideally, get good advice, either from a financial planner or also from a buyer's agent, you know, who can help you buy good quality property. So there's all sorts of little things you can do to try and protect yourself. But I guess my overriding message here would be to people, be very cautious with debt. Okay? Debt can be dangerous. Have a view that debt is something that you you want to try and avoid. You want to pay things off as quick as you possibly can. Don't adopt our culture's view, which is you need debt to do everything, whether it's to buy a car or to grow your wealth. That's simply not true. I know that debt is one of those topics that comes up frequently in our conversations, Alex. Is there a free resource you can point people to? Uh, on your own uh, resources, I know you have free ebooks and uh, mm. the My Toolkit. Are these sorts of things useful when you're grappling with your own debt situation? Absolutely. Well, it may surprise me, but this is actually one of my favourite topics because it's such a big issue for so many people. And it's where we think we can make a massive difference. So we created an entire ebook dealing with this issue specifically. And on our website, wealthwithpurpose.com, you can find an ebook called The Debt Destroyer. And you know, that's what we want to help you do destroy your debt, get out of it as quick as you can. Uh, and that outlines a process for getting out of debt and just really helps you think it through biblically, um, you know, praying about it and also then putting into action steps to get out of debt. So, yes, by all means, check it out because, um, you know, I believe that what really God wants from all of this is He, he wants you to be financially free. He doesn't 
mind you having debt, but he doesn't want you to be enslaved to the world's economic system. Uh, and that's, I think, the key message I'd want to leave with listeners, that, hey, don't let your debt enslave you. Well, it is tremendous biblical wisdom, and uh, thanks so much for delivering thoughts on that today, Alex Cook. Alex is the founder of Wealth With Purpose. You can connect with Alex through his website, wealthwithpurpose.com. Uh, check out those free ebooks, especially the one we're talking about today around debt. You can follow Alex on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, there's also an Ask Alex at wealthwithpurpose.com email you can use if you want to ask a question on this segment. Alex, great getting your insights as always. Thanks so much for joining us on 2020. My pleasure, Neil. Great to be with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.